Amen. Well, I wonder are you concerned about the cost of living crisis? This has been going on now for some time. I wonder, does it affect you? Do the news broadcasts that tell you that such and such a thing is going to be rationed in the local Lidl store or whatever, does it disturb you? Have you been um, noticing the fuel prices rising and falling a little and then rising again? Have you been budgeting maybe a bit tighter than you had been before? Maybe you're not eating out as often. Maybe you're looking more diligently for those bargains, those Asda smart prices and those Tesco values. Maybe you've started growing vegetables in the back garden. I don't know. You're trying to be a bit more frugal and a bit more thrifty, perhaps. Well, when I talk to those from a former generation to myself, a previous generation to me, They give me a good perspective on these things. When I talk to my mum, Lord bless her, 90 years of age, she will remind me, son, we used to walk to church when I was young in the pouring rain for miles and sit in a church soaking wet and walk all the way home. (laughs) She would remind me about the hand-me-down clothes that was her common fare and the shoes that often didn't fit just right. She would remind me that at the table at tea time it was often jam or butter on the bread but you weren't allowed both. And my mother is a person who knows by experience what it is to use a ration card. Yeah. Some of you perhaps are in that blessed generation. But The people from that generation concerning these everyday matters certainly can give us encouragement. And my mum would remind me, well, there have been harder times than this, son, but God brought us through. Isn't that right? But maybe the so-called cost of living crisis causes you little thought. At present, anyway. Because it's not affecting you too badly. Maybe you have a good job, seems a secure job, and it pays well. The crisis as as such has not come to your doorstep, so you've got a little awareness of the problem. What a difference, of course, these things make when it begins to encroach in your personal circumstances. It's a bit like death. You live with it all the time. It's all around us. You'll see hearses from time to time. You'll see funeral gatherings. You'll attend them. And yet, what impact does it make on your heart? Ah, but when it comes knocking at your door, then we begin to feel it. I think one of the main problems that we have as a nation right now at this time is that we've had it so good materially for so long. And we fail to rightly appreciate it. I do, as I said this morning, want to remind you that financial prosperity is not condemned in the Bible. Yea, rather, if we take, for example, the parable of the Lord and the talents, the master in that parable commends the servants who made 100% profit on their investment. The master gave one servant two talents. He made two. 
He gave another five, and he made five, 100% profit on their investment. And the master says, well done. Well done. No, no, no. The Bible warns us against idolizing, prioritizing, and loving money more than God. Is that what binds you tonight? Oh, we've talked about those who have gone low like the prodigal. We've, we've mentioned those who are in addictions with drugs, and you know all about that here in Colerain. A plague that's all across the country. But the Bible does not condemn success financially, but rather the making it into an idol. Surely, this is at the core of our current national crisis. We've been idolizing material things for far too long. And now that our gods of gold are beginning to topple, insecurity and fear set in. How is it with you? I would like to simply talk tonight in the time that remains on the topic of the cost of living. The cost of living. I'd like to talk about it first of all in the sense that I've been thinking of it with you and the sense that everyone's talking about. The cost of living in the material sense. Did you know that the Bible has a lot to say about economics and our day-to-day living? Oh yes, many would say that Christians are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly use. Isn't that right? There would be those who would think upon the Christian as someone really who's pie in the sky. Oh, they talk all this religious talk, but it's not really connected to reality. And they think of the Bible as an irrelevant book. Oh, yes, 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 born again. But how's that going to help me to put food on the table? How's that going to help me to pay these bills? Isn't that right? You've heard that before. Some of you who seek to try and witness for the Lord. This is, this is a common comeback. How is that going to help me in real life? But men and women, the message of Christ is certainly not pie in the sky escapism. But rather it's essential and critical and central to successful living. Our Lord was the one who fed the 5,000. Oh, he had many things to teach them that day. There was a whole day of ministry. But at the end, he fed He gave them to their physical need. Our Lord was always one who had that two-handed approach. The physical and the spiritual together. Yes, I'm sure here in Coleraine Free Presbyterian Church, you would mourn the ministries that are purely material and seem to have no gospel or diluted gospel. And it just seems to be that, in a sense, good works. Good in itself, yes. But we're called... To give out the bread of life. Ah, but our Lord shows us the two-handed approach. And of course, there's the other extreme. Where we would, as it were, think that we're most orthodox and pure in our preaching. And yet not have compassion. Not have compassion on the dear souls who are so needy. And who need that ministry of material things. Oh, our Lord fed the 5,000. Our Lord came and satisfied material needs. And as the missionary folks here know, and those of you who've been out in those lands, you want to keep the people alive. You want to give them as much as you can in terms of abilities and gifts to be productive themselves so that they'll stay alive to hear the word of God. Many of the charity ministries, if you trace their history, there was Christians at their conception. 
things like Bernardo's, or you read any of the great missionary biographies like Helen Rosevere or David Livingstone or even our own Bill Woods, a man going out with the medication and the gospel, two-handed approach. May this church be known for such ministry in the name of Christ. Cost of living in a material sense. I just want to remind the Christians here and those of you who are not saved, the Bible does have a lot to say and the Lord has a lot to say about our day-to-day living. You know that in the Old Testament, you have the principles there. God set down for his people these financial policies, these economic policies. For example, in agriculture, welfare policies that said, when you gather in that field, leave the corners for the poor. Make sure they've got something. There was insurance policies and compensation policies. If cattle were injured, there was mechanisms by which you compensated how that cattle or how that that animal was was injured. There were financial policies concerning debt and interest payments. All these things were in the Bible before they ever were in the economic policies of the United Kingdom. Oh, the Lord has a lot to say about family businesses and how they should be run. Proverbs 31 is known for its uh, chapter or its, its writings on the godly woman, but you read that godly woman. You read the things of the entrepreneurial spirit that she has. And she buys a field, and she, and she spins, and she sells. Oh, the Lord has a lot to say about our day-to-day economics. But you say to me, well, I don't have a family business, etc., etc., and I, I don't work in the government. Well, let me say, and I hope I'm not misunderstood, thinking of the cost of living. Can I just share some brief thoughts in regard to that, applying the Bible to anyone here, I, 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 I don't know you. I don't know your circumstances. You all look to be well kitted out, and you would give the impression at all as well. But I know that that can be hiding something. Times are tight, maybe, and you'd rather not talk about it. There's hardships there to bear, realities. How, how can the Word of God help you with these things? Well, if you're a Christian here tonight, I would say to you very simply, first of all, pray. We read in Matthew chapter 6, did we not give us this day our daily bread? We've sort of got away from that, haven't we? A dependence on God for daily bread. Oh, the shops are full. Remember when I was serving on the Lord and Ivory Coast, and you're familiar with the new tribes, it's one of the hardest things to get used to coming back to live here. When you see the waste, and you go into the supermarkets and the shelves are full, and of course so much is thrown out. Give us this. We've kind of lost that, haven't we? This dependence, this understanding that in actual fact, it's the grace of God that gives us our job, our health to work, our money in our pocket. Ultimately, it all comes from God. Men and women, we need to pray in these days. Pray for our daily bread. Dependence on God, I would say we need to read the Psalms. Oh, of course, read your whole Bible, but read the Psalms. Why? Because they're real-life stories of people in real-life need. And you notice how they talk with a brutal honesty to the Lord. Oh, Lord, why have you forgotten me? Oh, Lord, why are these things happening to me? Not in an irreverent way, but in an affectionate way. Oh, Lord, help me. They pour out their hearts to the Lord. And, of course, you learn there from the Psalms how to talk to yourself, how to reason with yourself. Remember that Psalm 42, and the psalmist says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why am I thinking like this? Why am I despondent? Why am I worried? That's why I read Matthew chapter 6. The Lord telling his disciples, take no anxious thought for tomorrow. Don't I feed the birds? 
Don't I feed the animal kingdom? Aren't you much more precious than they? And so if you are anxious, if you are worried, literally about material things, the Lord would say to you, trust me. The Lord would say, believe in me. Do not let fear grip your heart. I would also say, give plenty. And that might seem paradoxical at a time like this. How can you face the realities of today, dear Christian, and the cost of living materially? I would say, give plenty. I say, that's, that's, that's crazy. No. I'm going to read to you from the book of Proverbs. And the chapter 11, Proverbs chapter 11, and the verse 24 says, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. That's Proverbs 11 and 24. There is that scattereth. Think of the farmer sowing his seed and he's throwing it away. Ah, but he's investing and he's giving away. And yet the Bible says that comes to increase. And then there is that withholdeth. There is that stingy spirit. There is that miserly spirit and that, that withholds more than is necessary and it tends to poverty. Verse 25, the liberal soul shall be made fat and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Remember the story of Elijah and the widow woman of Zarephath? Just as one example. Hmm, talk about a cost of living crisis. Elijah turns up and she says, and he says, would you make me a cake? Would you make me some food? And she says, well, we're just gathering some sticks here and we're just going to bake the last bit, my son and I. And, and then, then we're facing death. What would you do? What would I do? Think of the widow woman with two mites. The Lord watched her put those into the offering basket. And he said she had given more than anything. And he said she wasn't going to lose out. Oh, no, men and women, this is a great day of opportunity. This is a great day of opportunity to minister to people who are getting it tight, to show the love of Christ, to come with hearts of compassion like Christ our Savior. Give. These are days for Christians to rise up and give. The Lord loves the cheerful giver and he honors them that honor him. But let me think with you please about the cost of living in a different way. And again, I'm trying clearly here to make my thoughts defined. I'm thinking just again for the believers that are here tonight. There's something I want to say about this. Cost of living in a material sense, I trust you'll see there's, there's good counsel in the word of God. Christianity, the message of Christ is for the realities of life. But I want you to think of the cost of living in the spiritual sense. The spiritual sense. What do I mean? Well, you see, there's a cost, isn't there, dear Christian, in living for Christ? I've tried to say that earlier on in the meeting. There's a cost. Yes, salvation is free, but it comes with a price tag if you understand what I'm saying. I want to read to you from Hebrews concerning Moses, where the Bible tells us that Moses chose rather to suffer affliction. Mm, there was a cost in living for God. There was a cost of self-denial. And Moses, it says, chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. 
than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Are you going to choose that path, dear sinner? Oh, there's a draw. There's something holding you back. There's a sin you don't want to give up. Moses decided to give it up. Give up the pleasures of sin for a season. That's because that's all they last for. There's nothing eternal in them. And Moses made the right choice, will you? It says here that he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Oh, to live for Christ, there's a cost. There's a cost of living for Christ. Christ said, if you love father and mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. Now, what does that mean? Many people have misunderstood, but again, it's this idea of putting anything and anyone before Christ. If your parents were to tell you, don't you dare go to that church, don't you dare believe in that, that whatever religion they'll call it, then on that ground, you must disobey your parents. Oh, there's not many grounds for that, but when it comes to God's commands and your parents, you must you must obey God. Oh, there's a cost of self-denial for the Christian. And there's a cost of cross-bearing. You have to bear your crosses. I touched on this this morning. I'll be brief. Uh, have you ever had one of those thorns that you can't get out of your finger? Remember Paul was praying, that great servant of God, and he was praying for the thorn to be removed. The thorn. Have you ever had one of those thorns? And you get it in and you can't get it out. It's most irritating. Sometimes, like Paul, the Lord says... You just have to bear that cross. Just like he said to Paul. Prayed three times for it to be relieved. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. It's actually better for you at this point that you bear that cross. Perhaps your prayer requests are not yet granted. And I use that word carefully. Dear Christian, you're discouraged. You think your prayers aren't answered. Can I remind you that your prayers are always answered? Yes, you heard me right. Your prayers are always answered. It's just sometimes the answer is no. And we just don't like that, do we? Or the answer is wait. But God always answers the Christian's prayer. But he doesn't always grant what we desire. And perhaps you're discouraged. Family and near ones who don't believe, who won't believe. Take encouragement from this morning's message. Take encouragement from the prodigal son. Can I just say on the end of this point, whatever your cross that you have to bear is, dear Christian, remember the words of Paul. Oh, Paul bore a lot for Christ. He, left a, he, he, he turned aside from his religious position. And he was a champion of the Jews. A Pharisee of the Pharisees, he called himself. Oh, he was looked up to by so many. He had a platform. He had authority. He had respect. He was revered. He says he gave it all up as dung. I compared it to what I have in Christ, and I just gave it all up. It was worthless, like Moses. Can I remind you what Paul said? All the sufferings that he went through, all the afflictions, all the beatings, all the persecutions, all the attacks. He said, our light affliction, and he wasn't making trivia out of it. He was simply just thinking of the balances. He was putting his afflictions in the balances and the crosses that he had to bear for Christ. And he was saying, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He put the cost of living for Christ in the balances. And he put his afflictions in one side. And he put the eternal weight of glory in the other side. 
far more exceeding. Well worth the cost. That's what he was saying. You're afraid to step out. You're afraid to have faith in Christ. You're afraid of what it will bring to you. Young person, I can empathize with you. Remember when I was converted, thinking those thoughts. Oh, what are my friends going to say? I was going to a youth fellowship at the time. I was living the life of a phony. I was singing the hymns. Oh, I had an interest. The Lord was drawing me. But I wasn't converted. And those thoughts came into my head. Oh, what what, what are these people going to think? Pretender. Con man. Oh, the flesh was rising up against the spirit. But thank God, I got grace to go. I got grace to look at it and weigh it up in the balance and say, I don't care. I don't care what the cost is. I want Jesus Christ and I want him now. May God give you the grace to do the same thing. Can I look again just at something else? The cost of living in a redemptive sense. The cost of living in a redemptive sense. What do I mean by that? Well, you see, the Bible tells us that when we are born, we're born in trespasses and sins. We are dead. Now, if you've had a loved one that's died, it's a most traumatic experience. The first corpse that I saw was my grandmother. I was 21 years of age. I cried like a baby. It was a most traumatic experience. Just in the funeral parlor there. Oh, it's a very sobering thing. Very sobering thing. Bible says, in terms of our relationship with God, that's what it's like. Oh, my grandmother, she couldn't respond. She couldn't return any speech. She couldn't interact with me. It was just a shell, just a dead body. It was just a corpse. Bible says that's what we're like in our sins. Bible says that's what we're like out of Christ, dead in trespasses and sins. But the Bible says, and Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. I resurrect people from the dead. I bring life to such dead souls. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And what I want you to think of in this point, dear friends, is that only Christ can make us alive. I'm thinking, you see, of the cost of living in the redemptive sense. I'm thinking of what it cost God, what it cost Christ to make us alive. The cost of our coming alive in Christ, the cost to God. Only he can awaken our spirits. And it cost him an awful lot. We sang it, did we not, in the hymn 199. Salvation full is available. Full salvation is available, the hymn writer said. And it came at highest cost. Highest cost to who? Highest cost to Christ Jesus said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Matthew 20 and the verse 28, the Lord Jesus said that he gave his life a ransom for many. A ransom, a payment to release captives. And Christ said, I am the one who will pay that cost. Settling the great sin debt that you and I have occurred. The Bible says in Romans 6 and verse 23 that the wages or the penalty of sin is death. 
death. And of course it means threefold death. The wages, the penalty of sin is death. Death in the physical. Death in the spiritual. Dead to God. And death in the eternal. Ah, but the verse goes on, hallelujah, with the good news. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages of sin, penalty of sin, just reward for your sin, death. But, one of the blessed buts of scripture, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Only he can give us life. The cost of that life to him. How will we ever measure it? How will we ever know it? What it meant for him, the Holy One, to bear away our sins. Dear, dear friend here tonight, Christian or non-Christian, if you are in a position where you're anxious about the cost of living in the material sense, can you do what the Bible instructs and consider him? The Hebrew writer said, consider him. Lest you be weary and faint in your minds. Consider Christ. Consider the cost that he paid to redeem you. And that will give you a much better perspective on the costs that you are bearing and fearing. I want to say one more thing, and I will endeavor to be brief. I've been talking to you about the cost of living. I've been trying to apply the scriptures to reality and your reality. And I've been trying, obviously, to bring out the gospel, the cost of living spiritually to Christ. But one last thought. I couldn't really, I felt I couldn't really end the sermon there without talking about the cost of dying. You not hear too many people talking about the cost of dying. Now, when my father died, which is nearly 20 years ago, I sat with the funeral directors and my sister, it was the first time, it was the first time I'd ever had such dealings. And I have to confess, as I sat and listened to the funeral directors, and they were Christian men. Thank God for them. But I have to confess, I thought these guys were mercenaries. When I, when I looked at the cost and, and the sorrow that we felt in our hearts, and I thought to myself, what? Well, how, can you, how can you dare to charge such prices to people? I, I, I confess, I knew nothing about it. These people were doing a good work. They were certainly not charlatans. There's... there's inheritance, tax that you have to deal with and all sorts of financial matters when people die that you would never think of and you certainly don't want to be bothered with at such a time of sorrow. And yet these things are real. But that's not what I'm talking about. All of you know that. The cost of dying. No, I'm not talking about the material cost. I'm talking about the cost of dying without Christ. I'm talking about the cost to your soul of dying Bible says that if you're a believer here tonight, death is gain. Isn't that what Paul said? To die in Christ is gain. It's gain. When I die, Paul said, I am going to gain so much. But what does it say of the unbeliever? Well, in the economic and financial language, interestingly enough, it says, what will it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? 
I suppose, again, it's one of those balances things. The economists talk about the cost-benefit analysis. You're going to make an investment. You're going to spend some money. You're going to make a big choice. And you do a cost-benefit analysis. What's this going to cost me? How is it going to benefit me? And you weigh things up. Dear men and women, I'm urging you tonight, if you're not saved, to do the cost-benefit analysis. The Lord Jesus said, what profit will it be to you if you gained all the material things and possessions and wealth that you could gather up in this world and lose your soul? What a loss. What a loss to die without Christ. What a loss to die without being forgiven. Are you willing to pay that cost? Is that a cost you're willing to pay? Eternal damnation. All the things that you would gather up in this world, don't you leave them behind? Pass them on to the next person? Come into this world, Job said, with nothing, and you go out with nothing. In the material sense. I'd like to just end with the words of the evangelical prophet, as some would call him. Isaiah. Isaiah in the verse I'm sorry, in the chapter 55, where Isaiah cries out in evangelical language, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, financial language again, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me. And eat ye that which is good. And let your soul delight itself in fatness. Oh, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Those who partake of him find satisfaction. Everlasting, eternal satisfaction. Cost of living. Cost of dying. Make sure you repent tonight. Make sure you're in Christ tonight. Yes, some of you know I have a long journey home. Be glad to be your servant for Jesus Christ's sake. Be glad to talk to anyone. And I leave that with you genuinely. Glad to wait behind. Glad to help any soul who's thirsting and wants to know more of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your attention and your patience once again. Let us all pray. O Lord, we praise thee that you're not a disappointment. We praise thee, Lord, that you satisfy our souls. You've you've created us to know you, yet in our sins we are banished from you. We are dead unto you. We thank you that in grace you quicken, you make alive, you regenerate, you resurrect from the dead. And I pray, I pray that there would be souls tonight listening to the word who would start living, living in the greatest sense of all, not merely existing, not merely eking out an existence in this world, not merely, as it were, trudging their way from birth to death, 
and trying to survive. But with the power of the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit to truly be alive in Jesus Christ. Answer prayer, Lord. It's thy work. And we commit it to thee. And we earnestly cry, do thy sovereign will. Awake the dead and make these people here. We ask all of these things, giving thanks, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the eternal Spirit be the portion of everyone here, now and evermore, for Jesus' sake. Amen.